If there was ever a day that we needed to anchor to biblical truth when it comes to sexuality, today is the day. There's so much confusion, and with it, I'd say a lot of chaos in the minds of many, and with that, a lot of heartache. The best thing that we could possibly do is embrace what God has to say. Now, obviously, a lot of people reject, openly reject, what God has to say. But if we are communicating this, especially to our children, we are communicating this to others who embrace biblical truth. It's important for us to be able to present maybe a concise definition. Here's a definition I have offered over the years. Sex is God's gift. God is the one that created the sexual relationship. God designed us this way. It's God's gift, and it's God's gift to a married couple for their enjoyment, that's right, pleasure, and for having children. Now, it's precisely at this point where we begin to see how the culture has infiltrated the belief system of the body of Christ and many Christians, and that is, it is God's gift, it's God's creation, and it's given to a married couple. Wait a minute, wait a minute, are you saying that sex is just for marriage? I can remember when I became a believer, I was in my early 20s, and then this teaching came up and I said, well, how do you know the, the, the gift of sex is for marriage? I was a new believer. I asked the question of several believers who were trying to disciple me. And they said to me, that's what God said. And they were vehement. They were at, they were strong advocates for that position, but not one person opened up a Bible and said, here's where it says this. Now our children are going to ask the same questions. Where does God say that? Where does God say that sex is to be reserved for marriage? When a child asks this question, we need to turn to passages. And although there are relevant passages in the Old Testament, to simplify an explanation, I would personally concentrate on the New Testament. And especially one word, that's the Greek word, porneia. Now you say, hey, get into the Greek. Well, in this case, I don't think it'll be that difficult. Because the word porneia reminds us of what? Pornography. And that's where we get the, name, the word pornography. It refers to all sexual activity outside of marriage. That's what porneia is. It's premarital sex, extramarital sex, homosexual sex, and the like. The term is translated as fornication oftentimes in the New Testament or immorality. At times, the context of a given passage defines the term more specifically. For example, if you turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1, Porneia refers to incest. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that does not occur even among pagans. A man has his father's wife. And so we see the term there referring to incest. In Romans chapter 1, verse 29, the context indicates that porneia refers to homosexual activity. Usually, however, the term covers all forms of of sexual behavior outside of marriage. It's included in 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 2. Listen carefully now to what Paul wrote to the believers at Corinth. He said this, But since there is so much immorality, and that word there is porneia, each man should have his own wife and each woman her own husband. Now what is Paul saying? Well, he's recognizing the fact that there was immorality. He has written this to Christians. And in effect, he's telling them, you really need to get married. Because that's where God placed this gift in the context 
of a committed relationship, the marriage relationship. It is good, it is a gift, but God designed it to be enjoyed by a couple that is married. And it's so important that it be limited to marriage that Paul is telling those who are engaged in immorality, they need to get married so they can enjoy the gift. Otherwise, they shouldn't be involved sexually. Now, Paul continues and he says this, He says, now to the unmarried and to widows, I say, it is good for them to stay unmarried as I am. Later in chapter 7, he is going to talk about that you're more freed up to be available to do the work the Lord wants you to do when you're not married. And so he says, I hope you'll consider doing this. And by the way, singleness is a gift that God gives. And then Paul said this, but if they cannot control themselves, in other words, if you're single and you cannot avoid sexual immorality, you should marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. Now think about it for a moment. God is being very realistic. He put the strong desires within us, and here in the context of this, the Apostle Paul representing the Lord is communicating to us God's realistic message, and that is, if you're at a point where you really have such strong sexual desires, you need to find a spouse to share a physical relationship with. But it gives no permission outside of the marriage relationship. You just cannot avoid the reality biblically that premarital, extramarital sex, it's wrong. And you work through this passage, you work through this passage with a teenager, I like to emphasize what is rather obvious here. God's provision for your desires, which the desires he placed within us, God's provision for those desires, I say, it's not your girlfriend, it's not your boyfriend, it's your husband, it's your wife. A mother, uh, years ago, called me, concerned about her daughter and the young man she was dating. The night before, the couple had been in a fight, and this guy put his fist through the wall. Now, he agreed to meet with me to discuss what happened. And after about 20 minutes of listening to rather inane excuses, I asked him if he and this girl were sexually involved. I didn't have to hear a word because his face gave me the answer. I said, you lost your temper, didn't you? And you did because you're going to break up with her And she's extremely upset. Why? Because the two of you have been involved sexually. And she right now feels like you have used her. And then I said, are you ready to get married? He quickly responded, no. I came back just as quickly and I said, then you need to stop. You need to stop doing that, which offends God and hurts this young woman. Another important passage is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, which tells us, Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure. For God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. If married people have sex outside of their relationship, they are involved in adultery. It is sin. If unmarried people have sex, they are committing fornication. It's a sin. We can only honor the marriage bed by keeping it pure. And we keep it pure by not allowing anyone outside of the marriage bed to invade the marriage bed. Now, before I go any further, let me just quickly interject this. I'll develop it more later, and that is sexual sin is not the unpardonable sin. God forgives, but there are implications. It does displease God. It is sin. We cannot deny this when we look clearly at the Word of God. But at the same time, God does not want us heaping guilt upon us when we've trusted in Christ as our Savior, 
He forgives sexual sins, but he certainly doesn't want us to continue in a pattern that he clearly says is not pleasing to him. Another important passage is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 4, and here's what it tells us. Marriage should be honored by all and the marriage bed kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. So this is clear. If a married person has sex outside of the marriage relationship, it's adultery. If an unmarried person has sex, they are committing fornication. We can only honor the marriage bed by keeping it pure. And we keep it pure by not allowing anyone outside the marriage to invade the marriage bed. But we need to remember that God is gracious and does forgive our sins because of the shed blood of Jesus Christ. And then he also calls us to forgive as we have been forgiven. Now, let me just comment on something here that is vitally important, and that is this teaching in the minds of many today is looked at as out of touch, to say the least, archaic, beyond the pale. Very few believers are willing to embrace this clear teaching from the Word of God. And that's an unfortunate thing. Now, I understand that many of us in the body of Christ have been immoral in this area, and so we have a hard time just taking this in, that, that we really shouldn't have been involved as we may have been. Let's embrace the forgiveness that is ours, but let us not deny what the Word of God clearly says. The character of God has not changed. It's not changed since he commanded that sexual sin be purged from Israel. He still hates sexual sin. We have to see that in his, in his word. We should not presume that because he is gracious and no longer requires that, as he did in the Old Testament, that fornicators be stoned, he has not changed his mind about sexual immorality. On the contrary, his standard of holiness remains the same, and it is grounded in his unchangeable nature. Sexual sin remains a very serious matter, for us as believers. And as parents wanting to teach biblical truth to our children, don't be afraid to look to the Word of God, to open it up, to discuss this. Obedience to God should be the primary motivator to wait until one is married. But there are a lot of very practical reasons why it's best to wait. Now this brings us, I think, to one of the most difficult parts of parenting in terms of communicating biblical truth. We want to proclaim what the Word of God says and the ideal. The ideal is that a person obeys what God says and waits till marriage. But a lot of young people don't. The vast majority don't. So when we talk to our children, we need to always bring alongside of the biblical truth the essential truth that goes with this, and that is the grace of God. We want our children to be able to come to us and acknowledge when they have failed, when they have failed in this very sensitive area. This is vitally important. I know it's not easy. A lot of it depends on the personality of the child, but I've had far too many courageous women call our radio program to talk about when they got pregnant 
were, were not married, oftentimes were quite young in their teen years, and they didn't know what to do, but they were afraid to talk to mom and dad, and then went and had an abortion, which when they call in and talk to me, they're expressing their deep regrets. So we as parents must always talk about our unconditional love and that God is a God of grace and we express that grace, that love, that affirmation, no matter what your son or what your daughter does. That is absolutely critical, especially in the day in which we live. Far too many people are rejecting biblical truth outright because there's condemnation without grace. They don't see the the work of the cross and the forgiveness that is ours and our identity in Christ. And yes, we will sin. We'll sin in this area. But God is gracious. And we need to communicate that on a regular basis to our children.